The Christian life is a life of supernatural joy that is shaped like misery. It's a life of supernatural joy that is shaped like misery. That if you were to look on the Christian life from the perspective of your neighbors and from the perspective of your friends and from the perspective of those that are all around you and they were to look at what you were seeking to do with your life, it would cause them to wonder why would anybody live a life like that? Why would anybody choose purposely to go after and to take upon themselves those hardships and to take upon themselves those burdens and to take upon themselves the difficulties that Christ himself has promised will be a part of the Christian life? In fact, to see this, you don't have to go any further than Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that we see in Matthew 5 through 7. Do you remember how the sermon starts? Jesus starts with what we call the Beatitudes, this series of blessing statements. And these are descriptions that he is giving to us. And in these descriptions, they are descriptions of what it means to live the Christian life, the description of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And so he says, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. And those statements of blessing are literally him saying, happy are the, joyful are those, blessed and favored in the eyes of God are those. Now, you remember what he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Joyful are the poor in spirit. Blessed, joyful, happy are those who mourn, those who suffer loss. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I wonder if I asked you to describe to me not a blessed life, but a cursed life, if these are the same things that you would point to. I wonder if I were to ask you to describe a, a cursed life, if you would talk to me about loss and suffering loss, if you would talk to me about poverty, if you would talk to me about having to be low in the eyes of men and low in the eyes of your supervisor and low in the eyes of your employer, that is poor in spirit. I wonder if we were to talk about being cursed in this life, if you would tell me about living in a country that doesn't accept your belief system and doesn't accept your worldview, that is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. But Jesus doesn't talk about that in the eyes, from the perspective of being cursed. Jesus talks about these from the perspective of being blessed, from the perspective of having favor in the eyes of God. So it's the fulfillment of these. The fulfillment of these descriptions that he gives us, those radical, ethical, and moral maxims that he gives us throughout the rest of the sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, so if someone comes to you and they want to sue you for your cloak, give them your tunic also. Blessed are the meek. So if someone comes and they slap you on one side of the face, turn to them the other cheek that they might slap it also. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So if you have an enemy that comes against you, do not hate them, but love them and pray for them and minister to them and reach out to them. For that, that life that looks cursed, that life that looks miserable is actually the life of blessing, the life of joy, the life of happiness. And what I want us to see this morning is that is the journey of every Christian life. That is the journey that every Christian endeavors to live, especially those that God calls through his church to the deacon ministry. That the 
all Christians are to live this life that is shaped like misery, but actually lands on joy. But especially those that God singles out and calls out through his people to be deacons in the life of the church, that they are to be the standard bearers of that journey. They are to be the standard bearers of the descriptions that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to get back to the basics this morning and talk about who deacons are and what deacons do. Who deacons are and what deacons do. So if you get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, would you stand with me as we seek to read God's word together? We're going to read verses 8 through 13 together. God's word says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. This morning, we as a congregation have a solemn responsibility, the solemn responsibility of calling forth men that the Bible describes as being full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. That we're not here this morning to call out men who are popular. We are not here this morning to call out men who are successful in the world or who give large sums of money to the church. We're here instead to call out men who live lives that are characterized by the wisdom of Christ and by the spirit of Christ. Men who are spiritual men, humble men, described as they are in Matthew chapter five. That we are to take seriously the role that we have as the church where God calls out his elders, the church calls out her deacons. That we are to call forward men, in other words, that are to be to us as illustrations of what it means to live a life for the kingdom. That they are to be an illustration of what true greatness looks like, the kind of greatness that Jesus describes when he says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That the deacons in our church are to be the standard bearers, the examples, the demonstrations, the epitome of what it means to carry forward Jesus's cross, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow after Jesus with all of our minds. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is who deacons are, who deacons are. You see, first, deacons are just faithful disciples. Deacons are just faithful disciples. Verse eight says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonesty. I want you to notice the word likewise. So if you know a lot about what's happening in 1 Timothy 3, and even if you don't, you can see this really, really quickly. But in 1 Timothy chapter three, Paul is writing to a young protege of his, Timothy, and he's describing to him what leadership is supposed to look like in the life of the church. And so he starts off by describing what, what an elder is to look like. An elder is a pastor. Um, there's usually a series of pastors or a series, a plurality of elders in the life of the church. And so he starts off by describing their character and describing some of their tasks and the qualifications of what it looks like to be an elder. 
elder. And then he pivots and he begins to talk about what deacons look like. And he puts these two offices side by side here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's one of only two places in all of the scriptures where we see the two offices of the church side by side. And this is the only one that really gives us a, des a description. But I think it's important to notice in verse 8 the word likewise. Likewise. You see that? You know what that means? That there's really not much difference when we talk about moral character. That there's really not much difference when we talk about the type of ethical qualifications that qualify a man for the elder, elder ministry or qualify him for the deacon ministry. That everything that you can say morally of an elder, everything that you can say spiritually of an elder, everything that you can say about an elder as far as him drawing near to Christ and reflecting the character of Christ and honoring the spirit of Christ, you ought to be able to say the same things about the deacons. And we can even begin to see that these things can, can be interchanged. These are not exhaustive lists of everything that should be true of an elder and everything that should be true of a deacon. Instead, they, they show us what types of characteristics ought to be present in their lives. And so we can think these characteristics and and those that are like them. They ought to be patient. They ought to be kind. They ought to be all of those things, even if those are not stated explicitly in the life of the text. And so when we read about the elders and we read about the deacons, what we can see is that they are called to a high standard of living, to a high plane of living, that they are to aim high as disciples of Jesus by modeling the very character of Jesus. But what I want you to understand is that these are not just the standard of living for an elder or the standard of living for a deacon. This is what the standard of, it, of being a Christian looks like. That what Paul is calling them to is not something that is to be extraordinary, but something that is to be normative in the life of every believer. That every believer ought not be double-tongued. That every believer ought to be sober-minded. That every believer ought to manage his household well. That every believer ought to not be addicted to much wine. That every believer ought to be the husband of one wife. That every believer, these things should be true and characterize who they are. So not a single one of us is off the hook this morning. That he is describing something that must especially be true in the life of church leaders. He's describing something that must especially be true of elders and especially must be true of deacons. But it ought to be true of you and it ought to be true of me. It ought to be true of every single one of us. That not a single one of us are off the hook when we talk about the moral standard that Christ has set for us and enabled for us through the gospel. That you ought to be able to say, what do I want to see in my pastor? What kind of generosity do I want to see in my pastor? What, what, kind of, what kind of spiritual life do I want my pastor to have? What kind of prayer life do I want my pastor to have? How do I want my pastor to love others? How do I want my deacons to serve in the life of the congregation? How do I want my deacons to be self-denying and selfless in service and living on mission? And as many answers as you get to that question, you have set the standard for your very own life. You ought to say, as he does, I will do. That is a life that is aimed at Christ, a life that is putting itself to death, not holding others to a higher standard than you are willing to live yourself. And Chris, Chad, and, and Justin, as you seek to live, that is the standard for your life. You see, these things are, are rare and extraordinary in the world, aren't they? But they ought to be normal in the life of the church. Integrity is rare and extraordinary in the world, but it ought to be the norm in the life of the church. Biblical marital fidelity, being holding your wife in high esteem, it is extraordinary. It is rare to find in the world, but it ought to be normal in the life of the church. 
being people of good repute, of a good reputation. It's rare to find people like that in the world, but it ought to be normal in the life of the church. Think about these qualifications that Paul is describing. Every single one of them could be used to describe Jesus, couldn't they? Every single one of them. That, that Paul didn't just invent this list off the top of his head. Paul looked to his savior. Paul looked to Christ. And so this morning, the men that we are calling out, the three men that we are setting aside as we lay hands on them, what the congregation is saying is that these are three men that have the fragrance of Christ about them. These are three men that when we look at their life, they remind us of Jesus. That when we see the way they care for their wife, it reminds us of Jesus. When we see the way that they serve and the way that they teach and the way that they lead, it reminds us of Jesus. When we see them put themselves out and be the very first one to stack up chairs in the sanctuary, it reminds us of Jesus. So we're going to lay our hands on them at the end of the service and we're gonna set them aside and say, they epitomize the Christian life for me. They set a standard for me, an illustration for me that I aim to live. And Chad, Chris, Justin, I hope you feel the weight of that. I hope you feel the gravity of what it means to be set aside by your congregation in that way. That they're watching you. That you are a standard bearer. That you are reflecting Christ to them. So draw near to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm not asking you to do more. I'm not asking you to become more. I'm not asking you for all of that. What I'm asking you to do is to draw near to Christ, so near to Christ that the fragrance of Christ becomes the aroma of your own life that we might follow after you. Deacons are not just faithful disciples, though deacons are sincere in character. Deacons are sincere in character. If you think about the kind of qualifications that Paul is giving of a deacon, they all largely revolve around integrity, don't they? They'll largely revolve around integrity. Think, think about what he says. He says, don't be double-tongued. That is, don't have a forked tongue so that when you're with one person, you say one thing, and when you're another person, you say something completely different. Don't go and sit down in one meeting and, and propose one idea and, and agree with one and set one set and then go to a different meeting and say something entirely different. Don't, don't say one thing when you're with your church friends and another thing when you're with your family and another thing when you're at work. That you are to be a person of integrity. That you're not just to say what's most advantageous to you in the moment. You're not just to say what is best for you and what is most profitable for you and what is easiest for you and most convenient for you. No, you are to say with gentleness, with, with, with the spirit, with, with patience, with kindness, the truth the truth, that you are to be a man of sincere integrity and sincere character that is reflecting the very character of Christ. He says, don't be someone of dishonest gain. That is, don't look to get rich in this world to begin with. Don't look for ways that you can cut corners and have more. Don't, don't seek to build your life by these, by these match boxes that we have here on earth. Don't seek to build your life by who you are at work. And don't, don't seek to, to cut corners in your generosity. And don't seek to cut corners in your giving to the poor and to caring for others. In the early church, it was largely assumed by virtually every scholar that they are the ones, the deacons are the ones that take care of the finances of the church. 
that they are the ones that oversaw the financial work of the church. So think about that. What Paul is saying is that as you call out men from among you, men who are full of wisdom, men who are full of the Holy Spirit, you will identify them by their financial faithfulness. You will identify them because they won't be living for the dollar. You'll identify them because they won't be seeking to cut every corner that they can cut. Instead, those who are going to manage the finances of the church and steward the money of the church, make sure that they are stewarding it rightly in their own life. Make sure they are giving in their own life. Make sure they are faithful in their own life, not living a life of dishonest gain. And he lands it like this. He says, they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That is, the behavior of a deacon must be consistent with the belief of the deacon. And y'all, that's not just the deacons. That, that our behavior and our words and our lives are to be in alignment with one another so that they can't say of us, you hypocrite. They might catch you on a bad day. They might catch you on a day in which you haven't slept well or eaten well or you're tired and worn out and you're grunt, grouch. Man, if you haven't had that day, I wanna meet you, okay? I need to hug your neck. But that shouldn't be the reputation of your life. That shouldn't be the pattern of your behavior. That shouldn't be the norm for you. That you ought to be the kind of person that even when he does wrong, even when you do wrong, you go and you make it right with your wife or you make it right with your husband or you make it right with your kids and you apologize. You acknowledge to the other group that, you're, that you've hurt or you've wounded the person at work that's disappointed in you. You acknowledge to them that you have let them down. Because a deacon is one that can go to bed at night knowing what they believe, knowing what God has said, and they can rest well because their conscience is clear. They have lived a life that is in alignment between action and belief, between words and living. You see, what all of us know is it's saying one thing and doing another that leads our children to reject our faith, isn't it? It's saying one thing and doing another that leads our children to reject our faith. It's being one person publicly and another person privately that causes a community to roll her eyes at a church that claims the moral high ground. It's saying one thing to this person and another thing to another person that causes a wife to lose her respect for her husband. It's when a pastor sets one standard for the church and holds himself to a lower standard that causes a congregation to revolt against the leadership of those church leaders. It's when you hold the mystery of the faith without a clear conscience. So Chad, Justin, uh, Chris, you have the crucial responsibility of setting the standard and the example of a sincere faith of living as men of integrity and honor. Then finally, we see that deacons are battle-tested. Deacons are battle-tested. Verse 10, he says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Let them be tested first. Then, then after they've been tested, after they've walked through the fire, after their faith has been drawn out, after they have a, tepu- a, a, a reputation of good repute, after all of that is true, then let them serve as deacons if they have proven themselves blameless. If they've shown themselves to you to be men of honor and men of sincere faith, men of integrity, men of character, men that work hard. After they've done that for a period of time, then, then you can do it. Early in my ministry, I had a pastor and he said something that's always stuck out to me. He said, a deacon is a deacon before he's a deacon. 
That those are the kinds of men that we want to find. That the, the kind of men that we want to find to serve in the life of Iron City Baptist Church are not those that are the flashiest. It's, it's not those that are the first names that come into your mind. It's, not the, it's the people that are the very first ones to stack chairs when nobody else wants to. It's the kind of people that they see trash on the ground and they don't keep walking. They bend over, pick it up and clean it up because they take pride in the church. It's the kind of person that sees a toilet that's stopped up and flooding and they don't just close the door, they actually go and get the plunger and fix it. It's the kind of person that loves the widows and the orphans before they're required to by rule to love the widows and the orphan. You see what all of us already know is that a title doesn't change a person. A title only reveals a person more clearly. That you can't give a title to a person and make them more generous. You can't give a title to a selfish person and then they become selfless. You can't give a title to an immature person and then they become mature. No, titles are only acknowledgements of what we already know and they will reveal to the positive or to the negative more clearly who that person already is. So I was thinking about Chris and Justin and Chad. I was thinking about, I, I don't know of three men in our church that have went through a greater loss in the life of our church. And they did it all publicly. That all three of them have suffered incredible, unimaginable loss in their lives. And I sat there and I thought, and, and I can remember being with each of the three of them on, in the moment of that loss and, and the desperation of that moment and the gut wrench of those moments. And then I started thinking, is it any wonder that their church has taken notice of them? having walked through the valley of the shadow of death, here they still stand. Having seen on the other side of unimaginable loss, they have seen in that loss the sufficiency of Christ and the goodness of Christ, and they are still here, hard as it may be sometimes, praising Christ. And so I thought about you brothers, and I thought you are a testimony to me, and you are a testimony to this congregation that our Lord does not waste our suffering. That our Lord uses our suffering and he uses our loss in a way that on the last day we will turn around and we will say, blessed are those who mourn. Your life may have the shape of misery, but it has instead as its receiving, as its recipient, a supernatural joy a supernatural joy. You have been battle tested and you have been proven. Praise the Lord. And that brings us to what deacons do. To what deacons do. You know, all of us bring baggage to the table when we talk about deacons, don't we? All of us. Like, like some of you, if I were to ask you to describe what, the way, what you picture in your mind when you think of a deacon, you would picture a grouchy guy in an itchy suit smoking out on the church porch. Maybe cussing under his breath if he's a good one. For others of you, if I asked you what comes into your mind when you think of what a deacon is, you would say that you picture it as an executive board of directors that meets in the shadows of the church and is pulling the strings and the pastor is their front man. And if you search the Bible from one end to the other, if you, if you digest the New Testament, you will not find one inkling of a description of a deacon being that way. 
I can remember when we were talking about elders and deacons, something that was really a pivotal moment for me was uh, Eddie Cotton. He was talking about how he had decided that he was going to search out the Bible to see what authority the, the Bible gave to deacons. And he read the deacons and he read, or he read the scriptures and he read the scriptures and he read the scriptures. I said, well, Eddie, what did you find? He said, I found out they didn't have any. They don't have any authority. That's not the role of a deacon at all. And so we come and we, we have to be asking ourselves, not what have we seen a deacon to be, not what we imagine a deacon to be, but what does the Bible say a deacon is? What, does the, what do the scriptures teach us about the nature of the diaconate ministry? And the Bible describes the church, the Bible describes the church as being like a body, like a human body. And that all of us in the local church come together as the various parts of that body. And like, like a nose and an ear and an arm can't function alone. All of them brought together create a thriving person that is able to accomplish things that are extraordinary and remarkable. And that that is the picture of the church. That all of us have natural abilities and through the Holy Spirit, all of us have spiritual gifts. And we're able to bring all of those things together with all of our experiences and all of our equipment and we come together and alone we're not worth much, right? Like alone, I don't know what good a nose would do, but you bring and you bring all of it together and man, we're able to do something that is spectacular to the glory of God. And in the body of Christ, the deacons are the hands and feet. In the body of Christ, the deacons are the hands and feet. In 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, Peter describes spiritual gifts like this. He says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So when he says God's varied grace, he's talking about how God's grace to us through the gifts varies. It's different. My gifts are different than your gifts. You can't do what I do and I can't do what you do, at least not nearly as well. And so he says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That essentially what Peter does is he classifies all the spiritual gifts in two categories. You have speaking gifts and you have serving gifts. You have speaking gifts and you have serving gifts. That does not mean that those with serving gifts never speak. And that doesn't mean that those with speaking gifts never serve. It's talking about primarily where you will be effective, most effective for God's kingdom and what you have been best equipped to accomplish in the life of God's church. And when we think about elders and deacons, I think that's really helpful for us. That elders are to be those that primarily have those speaking gifts. And so they lead the church of God through the instruction of God's word. They lead the church of God through the dividing of God's word. But the deacons, the deacons are those, though they may well know the scriptures and though they may be able to teach the scriptures even, even they are those that are better, best equipped with the serving gifts in the life of the church. Those who are well equipped to, to accomplish and to meet the needs of the widows and to meet the needs of those that are in need in the life of the church and the facilities of the church and the finances of the church. And so you bring the speaking gifts together with the serving gifts. And man, you've got a deadly combination there, right? Like, like you have both. So you have the, the elders leading through instruction and you have the deacons leading by example. You, you have the elders leading by teaching, by the casting of vision, by oversight. And you have the deacons uh, leading by setting the pace and setting the standard and being a life worthy of imitation that is in alignment with the teaching. And when you have those two things, those two elements of leadership, those two elements of teaching taking hold in the life of the church, my goodness, watch out. In fact, if you think about deacon, deacon is, is a transliterated Greek word, okay? When, like, if you were to see the word in Greek, it would be diakon, 
right? Like, so like you, you see it and it's basically the same word. If we were to translate the word deacon, you know what that word means? It means servant. That everywhere you read the word, sir, everywhere you read the word deacon, you could put the word servant and it would be just as true. That every Christian is to serve as Christ has served. Every Christian is to live a life where they seek to come in last and, and promote the, the good of others and, and meet the needs of others, but especially the deacons. The deacons are the lead servants in the life of the church. You can even see this in 1 Timothy 3, the way that Paul constructs these lists. If you take them, if you take them like we said earlier, the moral character, the, the spiritual qualification of an elder is virtually synonymous with that of a deacon. But when you get to task and the way that he talks about task, there are, there are some additions to the elders and some subtractions from the deacons, two mainly. One, elders are to be able to teach. They're to be able to teach or apt to teach depending on your translation. That is because they are, they are those that, that guard and, and, and defend the doctrine of the church. They are those that instruct the people of God in the word of God, that they must have an ability to, to see God's word and a unique ability to be able to divide God's word and then teach you what it says so that you can obey it. And then it says also, uh, the care for God's church. When it talks about ruling your household well on the elder, it adds so that they can care for God's church. That is, so they can play, they can provide oversight to the ministry of God's church. So they can provide oversight to the protection of the doctrine of the church. And when you read that same uh, sentence in about the deacon, it leaves that part out. And so you can see the differences in the life that deacons are to be the illustration of a life lived for another kingdom, that deacons are to be an army that is deployed for the purpose of serving the body. So maybe you're here and you'd say, so a deacon is just a servant? So a deacon is just a servant? Brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God, kingdom of God there is no such thing as just a servant. Servanthood in the kingdom is not menial. Servanthood in the kingdom is greatness. Servanthood in the kingdom is glory. Servanthood in the kingdom is condescending in the same way that Christ condescended from the throne of heaven to the cross of earth, that he might not be served, but that he might be a servant of all. It is to condescend in the way that Christ has condescended. It is to identify with Jesus in his cross that you might be raised to walk this resurrected life in the likeness of Christ. That Christ, the emperor of the universe, tied a, a towel around his waist and he wiped the feet of his own betrayer, of his own deniers, of his own pupils. And in the same way, in the Christian life, all of us are to love one another in that very same way and leading the charge in the way that we are to love one another and serve one another and tie a towel around our waist is to be our deacons. It's to be our deacons. They are lead servants pursuing a life of supernatural joy shaped like misery. It looks like misery to the world, but on the day that Christ comes, on the day of Christ appearing, it will not feel like misery at all. On that day, it will only be joy as you receive the crown and those words that every Christian longs to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant, my good and faithful deacon. 
That's why he lands where he does on verse 13. When he says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This morning, I wonder, are you willing to be just a servant? Are you willing to be just a servant? And Chris, Chad, Justin, are you willing to, to set the pace in servanthood? Are you ready to tie the towel around your waist and to set the pace on what it looks like to love one another as Christ has loved us and to lower ourselves as Christ has lowered himself that on that day, living a life of faith on this day, you might hear those precious words. And that lands us on the final thing that I want you to see about a deacon and what he does. And you're gonna like this one, I think. You're gonna like this one. Because see, deacons in the body are not just the hands and the feet. Deacons are the knee, knee cartilage. <laughs> You're welcome. Deacons are the knee cartilage. So in Acts chapter six, there's a conflict in the life of the church. That, that's the passage that we opened. That's, that was our, our pastoral reading this morning uh, to kick off our service. And in Acts chapter six, there's a conflict that is broken out in the life of the church, right? You have this new church and it's exploding by the thousands, like, like overnight. Well, guess what? There's a saying in the ministry world, mo people, mo problems. And that was certainly true in the life of the early church. You brought in all of these people and you had varied backgrounds. You had some that had a more Jewish background. You had some that had a more secular background, even if they had a Jewish heritage. And so you had these, these, Hellenist, uh, these Hellenist young believers, these Hellenist widows, and they spoke Hebrew and they were getting preferential treatment over the Greek speaking widows. And man, they got mad about it. You ever seen that? Like, you're taking care of her. You're not taking care of me. You're taking care of their mama. You're not taking care of my mama. You've, you guys have seen this stuff before, right? And so the apostles had an idea, an inspired idea. They said, what we need to do is we need to call the church together and we need to have them call out seven men full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And they will go and they will care for the widows and they will, they will bring peace where right now there is conflict and they will bring calm where right now there is division. And they, they will do that because it is not good for us to give up the work of preaching and praying. So let them go and wait tables. Let them go and serve those that are in need. And they called out seven men. That is, they called them out to do what primarily? Be peacemakers. They called them out to be peacemakers. And if you're going to be an effective deacon in the life of the church, you are going to be a peacemaker. In fact, you'll remember if you think back to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers for theirs is the kingdom of God. I was thinking, so I, I was thinking about the body of Christ and that's how my weird brain is. Like I was talking to Mark Coger before the service and Mark's gotta have a knee replacement surgery here pretty soon, right? And I said, so what's going on? He said, man, all that cartilage is gone. All those ligaments, all of that's gone. And they're gonna go and they, they're gonna put that. I had to have that a few years ago myself, not a replacement, but they had to go and repair the cartilage in my knee. I told you, I'm, I'm, I'm a late model, but I'm high mileage. You know what I mean? I'm a late model, but I'm high mileage. And what cartilage does, all right? So you have these bones that are coming together at a joint in your body. And you come, and, and I don't know if you've ever felt a bone before, maybe at least like a dog bone. They're pretty hard, right? Like they're pretty hard, pretty brittle even. And you put that stuff and you start crashing that stuff together. That ain't a lot of fun, 
All right? You, go, you start running and you're pounding into the pavement. As you're pounding in the pavement, it's sending the shock up into your body and those bones are crashing into other bones, except, except we have this brilliant designer, the Lord God, who put this rubber layer in there in between. And what that rubber layer does is it softens and absorbs the impact between those bones so that when you run or when you walk or when you jump or when you fall off a ladder, it doesn't hurt quite as bad as it normally would, right? That's the knee cartilage. Deacons function in that role in the life of the church. That all of us are these, these, these old grumpy, brittle, messed up, wretched bones and we're pounding the pavement and we're serving the king and we're, we're going to the ends of the earth and we're, we're, we're working in the children's ministry and in the nursery and here we are. And man, if you put us together long enough, what we start doing is we pound the pavement for the kingdom is we start crashing into each other, Right? And so what the Lord did is he designed the church so that there would be this, this, this shock absorber built into the life of the church to, to be able to absorb the impact that we have with one another so that through the Spirit we could remain in unity even when we come at odds. So that through the Spirit, even though that I'm grumpy sometimes and you're grumpy sometimes and we have bad days sometimes and we have bad years sometimes we can come in and there's this layer of protection that is placed between us in which we can be which the impact we can be absorbed among us Tony Snyder who served here as a deacon forever he told me one time I asked him what he thought a deacon was and he said you know after reading the scripture and really praying and asking God to show me what a deacon is supposed to be he said I decided that what a deacon really is a deacon is somebody that puts fires out a deacon is somebody that puts fires out and y'all, that's a great description of the role that deacons were originally put in the church to be. And y'all, that's not fun. That's not fun. You see, the most incredible part of the church is that it's built out of sinners. And the most difficult part of the church is that it's built out of sinners. We're hard to deal with, y'all. We're hard to deal with. We, we've all got different views on things and different opinions about things and different perspectives about things. But praise be to our God that he has orchestrated and put together his body so that we can come in all of our differences and with all of our opinions and with all of our differences and we can be bound together in unity with one another and even enjoy with one another for the advancement of his name and the advancement of his glory. And so Chad... Justin, Chris, that's the role that you have to play in the life of our church. The unfun role of being a peacemaker, of being knee cartilage between all of the various bones that are crashing into one another as we run after. And to the world, it looks like misery. To the world, it looks like misery. To the world, it looks like misery to have a baby and bring them into the world until, until one day you see that baby bloom and come into its own and become a man or a woman that you admire and that you respect. And oh, the deacon service, the elder service is so much like that. It seems like misery to the world to have to come in between all of these crashing bones and bring peace and do all of this until one day you look and you see that your church is advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth and that you see people that once were babes in Christ, growing in Christ and leading the church of Christ and you realize that a God as great as our God, a king as great as our king, used a peasant as lowly as you for his own glory and you played a role in that. See, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ is a privilege to take part of. 
It's a privilege to take part of. And it is a privilege to be able to serve. So men, serve him well. Serve her well. Serve her well. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at nine o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.